You're listening to Dr. Tony Nader, the podcast, dedicated to exploring the full potential of human physiology and mind with focus on ancient and modern techniques of self-development. Spend some time with Dr. Nader, who is leading the way in the science of consciousness, and begin your journey to better understanding the relationship of mind and body, consciousness and physiology right now. In this episode, Dr. Nader focuses on Chapter 6 of his book, One Unbounded Ocean of Consciousness, to look at how our perceptions color our reality. Einstein began by saying something that seemed inconceivable, that space and time are related, and that they are both relative. According to his theory, the things that you most trust and depend on, that you're standing on solid ground, that time goes by the ticking of a clock, and that your lifespan is X years, are not fixed and absolute, but relative. If you were to travel at the speed of light or close to it, time would stop and you would not age. Space, too, would completely change depending on your speed. It would either dilate or contract. So what is the true reality? Good day, everyone. Wonderful to be connected on Facebook and Instagram. Today we are discussing chapter 6 of One Unbounded Ocean of Consciousness. And you have sent some questions, I'll be answering them. But let's review a little bit where we are. We have set up the stage about asking the big questions in life, the important questions that make a difference in our living, in our expectations, in our feelings, in our sense of purpose. In sense, trying to understand the rules, the rules that guide life and living, and the principles that will help us act and think in light rather than in darkness. And we've considered all these different factors, and we've said we come to some conclusion there is matter and there is mind. There is the physical aspect and there is the non-physical aspect, which we are calling consciousness or awareness. Ultimately, that is the most subtle aspect of our reality. And that is the one thing that we are most sure about. In the previous discussion, we talked about where is consciousness, because we said we know matter is everywhere. We see it. Physical matter is something we experience. And we wanted to know where is consciousness, actually. And we came to some conclusion of defining consciousness as also being everywhere. And we said it's our definition of consciousness. It's our consciousness as a human being. We are conscious. We know we can be conscious in different ways. So consciousness is not just one kind of consciousness, but even us as individuals, we have different types of consciousness. We have different layers of consciousness, different depths of consciousness. Sometimes we are an illusionary reality. We kind of imagine things during dream. Sometimes we go through periods, even if we took some drug or something, we can have hallucinations. So we call them hallucinations, but it's again our nervous system, our brain that seems to be working in a way due to the chemicals that have been taken that lead to a different experience of consciousness. 
And we extended that consciousness to the fields of life that include the animal world in different ways. And then we said we're going to go to the plants, the trees, and even the mineral world, the reality of everything really can be seen from the fact that there is a response of some kind, there is a reaction to something, there is a detection of something. So even a stone which detects gravity and falls, this little bit of detection we are calling consciousness. And so we realize that consciousness in our life, in our living, in our ability to experience things has a huge range from human consciousness, where we are aware of the self, where we are aware of past, present, and future, where we think and plan, where we can imagine the universe and understand its functioning because the laws of the universe, which are out there conducting the structures of the universe and its function on a physical, chemical, biological level, our consciousness is able to fathom. So that is quite a broad consciousness that can calculate when there will be an eclipse, that can calculate how the stars explode and move and what happens on the microscopic level. This means our consciousness has that ability to see broader and deeper aspects. And we said that in the book later we will discuss higher states of consciousness from sleep, dream, and waking, that we're going to go to something we call transcendental consciousness, which we also discussed briefly, that people who transcend through transcendental meditation experience this state of pure being, pure silence within, infinite alertness, yet very deep quietness, very deep settled state of restfulness in the mind and in the physiology, which is not usually part of any other state of consciousness that we have known. In a sense, we experience that absolute state of pure awareness. Why we call it pure awareness? Because we are aware of awareness itself alone, and we are not aware of any object or any thought or any image or any memory or any feeling even. It's a sense of being that is absolute. So it's an absolute non-changing reality that we experience within ourselves. And we said this is really the source of everything. We made that postulate. We made that definition from our side. We said it's a state that is equal to the unified field of all the laws of nature that is contemplated and imagined and thought through and analyzed and calculated even by modern physics with theories that say that the whole universe comes from one field, one unified field. And we are saying that unified field is ourself. And then this is the field that actually manifests as the universe. So today in chapter 6, we come to a crux of the question. What is consciousness? We've seen where it is, how we define it in general, how we compare it to the unified field, but let's address this question directly. What is consciousness? Is it some substance? Is it some material? Is it a process? Is it something of energy or a physical nature? 
Is it maybe quantum mechanical, quantum field? Is it, where is it in this whole thing? What creates that consciousness? Where does it come from? And this is a very critical question in our understanding of reality from this holistic complete perspective. And the answer is that from a material perspective, from a physical perspective, meaning from anything that relates to matter, which is objects that are gross, that we can feel, touch, etc., or even examine under the microscope or through our telescopes or all of that, from these perspectives, including energy, which means if we can calculate the energy or the fields and their effects, electricity, magnetism, and all the other fields, even gravity, we can say that consciousness is nothing, absolutely nothing, which means it is not physical. It is not at all physical. So this is one big step in our understanding that we have to transcend, which means go beyond our usual interpretation of reality as being matter and as being energy and as being physical. This ultimate reality that we are calling consciousness, that we know is consciousness, is non-material, it is non-physical. It is therefore from a material perspective, from a physical perspective, nothingness, absolutely nothing. Which means it does not have the rules and expectations that we have from any material or energy perspective. So it is beyond that reality of physical and material. And therefore, it answers already one question to us, where does it come from? What is that consciousness? Where does it come from? So that's a big question because we always ask ourselves, where do we come from? Where does it start? If the universe started with a Big Bang, what was there before the Big Bang? Where did the energy come to create the Big Bang and then to create the, you know, the fields and the electricity and the gravity and all these fields of energy and laws and then manifest as the universe? We ask this question, where does it come from? Well, this question, where does it come from, is applicable in our understanding and our vision and our perspective of material and physical reality. Because material and physical reality is a reality that manifests as objects, as specific values, or as energy, as forces that create mechanical process and create effects in nature. And therefore, these are always happening, transformed, and we can follow them up. We can see that if we do this, then this comes. If we do that, then this comes. If this birth is there, there is death. If there is change, there is transformation. There is all of these. And we can trace all these aspects within what we call space and time. However, so far, since we are talking about something that is not material, that is not physical, we cannot ask the question, where does it come from? Because 
it is not a physical or material aspect and it is therefore beyond the dimensions of space and time, beyond the understanding of space and time. Now you say, wait a minute, but it must come from somewhere. <laughs> it is eternal. It is a different aspect of reality. It is non-manifest. It is unmanifest. So that is another value which means it is totally beyond anything that you can see, feel, or hear, or anything. And here we're talking about the basic consciousness, which we are calling with a big C. So as you see in the book, I define that there is consciousness, and I keep repeating consciousness with a big C, and I say, yes, it's an uppercase C in consciousness, and whenever you find consciousness with an uppercase C in the book, so you will say, well, now he's talking about pure consciousness, about the original consciousness, about the unmanifest consciousness, about the consciousness which is beyond everything, beyond anything material and physical, and consciousness which has no time and no space within it. So no time means we cannot say, where does it come from? Because it's, even if you say eternal, it is meaningful in one sense to explain the term that it's always there, but eternal in the sense of being always all the time there is meaningless because it doesn't apply. Time doesn't apply to it. So therefore this issue of nothingness in terms of material value will help us to understand this big problem that's always been there. Where does it come from? Where does anything come from? And if it is nothing, you cannot say, where does nothing come from? <laughs> because nothing is nothing, doesn't come from anywhere. So it is nothing in terms of physical and material, but it is everything in terms of reality. And that's what we will have to discover and see how this is possible. How can it be possible that nothingness that nothing material, nothing physical, is the origin and the source of everything. Again, I am emphasizing because many readers can get confused when they say nothingness, and you will encounter this term nothingness as we move along. And this nothing or nothingness can be seen from different perspectives. From the perspective of the material world, of the physical reality, it is nothingness. From the perspective of consciousness itself, there is no material reality in the unmanifest absolute as such. And therefore, matter is only an appearance within consciousness. Now, that's a big term, and we'll have to go through the whole book in order to understand how this happens. It doesn't mean that matter is an illusion, it is actually a perception, a way of seeing things. Now, we said you can have different consciousness, awake, dream, sleep, minimal consciousness, high state of consciousness, and you can have transcendental consciousness where we are beyond change, beyond any limits, beyond time and beyond space. And this is from this perspective, from this one perspective, Everything else is just consciousness. So therefore, if everything is consciousness, therefore the idea of matter 
sitting there by itself is a non-reality in fact and that is something we're going to have to understand how does it work how is this possible is this a philosophy is this an idea is this a belief system or is it something that is logical that makes sense and it does make sense and you will see this as we go through the book how this can be possible that matter appears to be real but that is a perception this is what we have to get used to that everything we see everything we interpret everything we believe in is a phenomenon which means is a perception is a way of seeing things is what does it mean a way of seeing things it's a way of being conscious it's a one mode of consciousness one ability to be conscious in one way or another way or another way so the way i see the flower is not the same way as maybe my cat or dog sees the flower or the way the tree experiences the flower or the stone experiences the flower the stone might just experience maybe some gravitational attraction but that's all that the flower is for the stone so but this is just to highlight that there are layers and layers of perception now the beginning of what is consciousness is this important understanding that consciousness is all there is that consciousness is unbounded is pure is transcendental which means it's beyond all differences and all change however however and this is a question that has come also and i address it this silent pure consciousness which is all balanced has its own nature its own quality what is its quality its quality is to be conscious that's why we call it consciousness otherwise we would call it love and even love is consciousness but that we will get to later we can call it energy we could call it force we could call it power but we are calling it consciousness because its nature is to be conscious so what is it conscious of and how does the process of becoming conscious happen this is a key point in starting from the one unity of consciousness to the diversity of the manifestations of consciousness it is through its nature its nature of being conscious it's conscious of what there is nothing else other than itself so it is conscious of itself obviously and uh, because there is nothing else in that pure and manifest absolute state consciousness is conscious of itself yet in order to be conscious you need three things you need the conscious observer the subject you need an object which is the observed and you need a process that connects the observer to the observed so you need three things you need the subject the connection and the object the observer the process of observation and the observed and therefore you have led automatically to three values the observer is a silent witness of the situation the process of observing is a dynamic process which takes the observer in a sense towards the object of observation and the object of observation is the realization in consciousness 
that there is something there, that that reality is. That reality is a being, is something. What is it? It's pure consciousness. There is nothing else. Still, the three values emerge from the one value of being unbounded, pure consciousness, non-changing in its own essential nature. Yet now it has a perspective, a way of looking. And the way of looking have three qualities. One is the silent observer, quiet, just witnessing. The dynamic process which takes it into looking at itself. So it's a self-referral process, yet it's looking back at itself. Yet there is that dynamism of looking at oneself, which takes the observer towards itself as an object of observation and finds itself to be real. So this is how consciousness acknowledges its own reality through the process of being conscious. So consciousness, that fullness, which is nothing material, experiences itself through a process, and this process leads to three values. These three values are fundamental, and then that means there is already a breaking of symmetry, if you like, and there is the silence and the dynamism manifesting, and then the object, which in fact when you experience it, hides the principle of silence and dynamism because you are just come up with a conclusion. I am. I am. So, you know, when Descartes said, I think, therefore I am, if you have remembered this, je pense, donc je suis, this is in French, and he actually had said it in French, but then they translated it in Latin. Cogito ergo sum is a big thing in philosophy. I think, therefore I am, which means the proof of my existence is not my body. It's always changing. It's never the same. Nothing in the relative ever is the same. Nothing ever, not a moment, it's the same. Yet, in this process of reflecting on oneself, the fact that I can be conscious of myself says that I exist, says that I am. And therefore, this is really the process of initial manifestation from one into three values, the observer, the process, and the observed. And as you will see in the book, this will lead to a cascade of observation because then you can say, how can I see things from this perspective or that other perspective? And therefore, multiplicity emerges in this breaking of symmetry, if you like, where the separate values emerge and then one can start seeing things from different filters. You put a yellow filter, you see it from that observer perspective. You put from a dynamic perspective, from an object perspective. You are still the seer. It's still unbounded pure consciousness. But now you can look from this kind of filter, from that kind of filter, from that kind of filter. And then you can add one filter upon a filter upon a filter and you dissect your white light, which is all the light, into the prism of different colors and then shades and colors and shades and colors and shades and colors to infinity. And that is how the differences emerge and the manifestation will emerge later. We are still in the absolute. This is all happening at an infinite frequency, but this is what consciousness is. And that is the key point in chapter six. I hope you read it and enjoy it uh, again with this perspective. The next chapter will be a physics chapter. In the physics chapter, 
I have to warn you, those who are not interested in science and physics and classical mechanics and quantum mechanics, don't worry about it. Just read through it for your own interest and you can even completely jump and go to the next one if you feel you're not inclined to go into the physics. But it's very interesting and I encourage everyone to actually read it and but not feel interrupted by it or abstracted or make it an obstacle for your progress in the book. I had to put chapter 7 there because this is to show those who are interested that there is no contradiction and that actually the revelations of physics give us a lot of understanding about the fact that this presentation of ours, this axiom of ours, this theory of ours is in tune with the discoveries in modern science and in modern physics. Not that modern science and physics explain it in terms of making it legitimate. It is legitimate on itself and by the fact that it explains so many other things, we feel that it has value and it is on the right track and that is its own strengths. So this will be our last session. I have a few questions though I had like to take with you. Uh, this last session for now, you know, you've asked and I have many questions here and demand requests. Wonderful. Thank you for requesting that we continue. But I give you a break to analyze things, study things a little bit, and then we have more questions and more interaction so that this process is more interactive, even though I am talking, but you are sending your questions. And please keep putting your questions in the fields there when they come as you progress with them, with the knowledge. And keep sending us questions and I'll be happy to answer both for you on Facebook and on Instagram. Patricia Larson, USA, asks, my question is, it is said that life goes on and that we don't really die. What happens to our consciousness, our spirit, when we leave the physical body? It continues and it is absolutely immortal in that sense. And this will be also discussed in future chapters in the book. Max Schulz asking, what made the absolute create the relative and the universe? Is it for the same reason we create for joy? There is also a very important answer to that. Yes, it's for joy, for the expansion of happiness and also for knowledge. And this is a key point for even self-knowing because it is consciousness looking at itself. It looks at itself from this perspective, but then looks at itself from that other perspective and that other perspective. And then there is a dynamics that happens that involves freedom and different aspects that gives a reason for the universe to manifest. So this is one of the very big questions in life. And I leave it to you to discover it in the book. Francis Hanna, USA, is there a level of consciousness where everyone is consciously connected to everyone else? Yes, absolutely. This is the highest level of human awareness where we go from transcendental consciousness to cosmic consciousness to God consciousness to unity consciousness. And there we realize that all is one and bounded ocean of consciousness. And therefore, in that level, you understand, you live, you really know that you are one with everything on the most fundamental level. So differences remain on the surface, but it's the same sap that nourishes or becomes the flower, the tree, the trunk, the leaves and the branches. It's the same one field of being 
that expresses itself in multitudes of expressions on the surface level. And this you can experience, you can live as you rise in consciousness. This is the highest level of human development, which we call unity consciousness, the state of unity consciousness. Bill Vesely, USA, I love the handling of Dennett and the other later day consciousness philosophers. It really shows the uniqueness of the consciousness is all approach. Can you speak to why you came out with this now? It is just time-wise. I was thinking, planning, studying, researching, and writing. And I had many other responsibilities, so I couldn't spend the whole time writing. So I would write every day a little bit and put these thoughts together. And nature does it, so it so happens to come now. And it's my joy to share it with you at this time. It's here now and therefore it's available for thinking and planning. There are many other scientists and thinkers about consciousness, some even who say there is no consciousness at all. Others say it's a physical phenomenon, it comes from physical level of understanding. There are even writers that think that the human development will happen when we really manage and dominate the chemical, electrical values and we can through medicines or drugs or something control the way the nervous system works and on a mechanical level. And I feel it is very important that we realize that it's all on the level of consciousness because even those understandings of the physical reality and its development happens from consciousness, from human consciousness. So we should remain masters of our destiny and the book will address these different values, even including artificial intelligence, genetic engineering, uh, you know, why pandemics can happen, why volcanoes erupt, what is the future of our planet, and the necessity and importance of handling our consciousness, because that is the most primordial value. So it's out of the necessity of the time when there is a lot of very material approach and everything becoming physical and like this, that we come back to the reality of the most profound value, which is non-material, non-physical. And in that sense, it is called spiritual. If you like to call it spiritual, there is no harm. And spiritual does not necessarily mean religious, because there is a question that has come up about atheism. And this question, I'm looking for it. Basically, it says that if an atheist experiences transcendental meditation or whatever experiences the transcending the value of pure consciousness, how would they explain this? And the reality is that atheism is also a different kind of interpretation. And some people might say, well, there is a force, there is an energy, there must be some place from which everything comes. And whatever that place is, it's just an energy or a force. And they don't want to say that there is God. And they don't want to say that there is something that is immaterial. And they will tend to explain it from their perspective. However, this knowledge that we have truly gives us the understanding that consciousness is everything. And if you like to look at it from a divine perspective, as you will see in the book, you can. And therefore, you can be monotheist or think in this way or even polytheist or you can be an atheist and there will be no contradiction. This is the beauty of also this 
presentation of knowledge and its profundity that you can look at it from different perspective, even yourself, and not impose on the others the way you like to look at it. And just accept and that I will feel if people truly go through this knowledge and truly grab it and understand it, they will see that all religions can be having a common dominator, that all belief systems can find a logic and can find a common place to meet, and that it is just one big, huge, complex reality on the outside, which comes from one simple reality at the basis of all this complexity on the outside and all these differences, and that all these differences are a question of perception or perspective or point of view. So I leave you with this. Have a great weekend and a great time and look forward to being together again once you have read the book and more in it. And we will do it again, start again. Thank you for being with us. Have a great day. Enjoy life and live. Life is bliss and fullness and the expansion of happiness is in its nature. Thank you for tuning into Dr. Tony Nader, the podcast. And if you're interested in learning more from Dr. Nader, please follow him on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube.